This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Talley. Our guest this week is Betsy Ward, President and CEO of the USA Rice Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Betsy Ward of USA Rice next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. All of U.S. agriculture industry is challenged by inflationary and supply chain issues with input prices this year. Rice growers are facing the same hurdles, but President and CEO of USA Rice, Betsy Ward, says rice growers aren't seeing better returns to offset those costs. Our prices have not gone up like other commodities have, right? So so rice prices have stayed about the same. Maybe they went up, I think they went up about 8%, but then they just went down again. So the overall cost of production for rice is unbelievably high. It's a huge issue. And we've, you know, we've been working with the Agriculture and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M. They do great work, and, you know, they do work for the Hill as well. And I know they're working on a, on a study right now that looks at all, all of commodities, but they did a a little uh, study for us just on rice, and this was in January. So this was before Russia invaded the Ukraine, <laughs> and uh, they were estimated that the, the cost per acre would be about $174 more than last year, and now it's much higher than that. So it's a serious situation, uh, and our rice farmers are really struggling this year. Betsy, do you think the balance sheet had an impact on farmer planning intentions for 2022? I do. Look, we, you know, we don't have a crop in the ground yet in Arkansas, which is our biggest rice-producing state. Louisiana and Texas are, are almost done, uh, which is good. And in some parts of the Mid-South, you know, rice is really really the, the number one option. That you know, It's the best option for the soil type, et cetera. But in other parts, northeast Louisiana, certainly in Arkansas, Missouri, they have, they have choices. They can grow soybeans. They can grow uh, corn. They can grow cotton. So uh, I do think that we, you know, this would normally be a year, as you know, I mean, it, uh, crop production is very cyclical, right? So last year was a down year. So this year would normally be an up year for, for acreage uh, in the Mid-South, and it is not going to be an up year. It's going to be about the same, if not less. And I think that's because of what we just talked about. You know, the when you put pencil to paper, uh, growing rice this year is not really a very uh, profitable thing scenario for these guys. Betsy, global corn, soy, and wheat prices are being influenced by that Russian-Ukraine conflict. Is there a spillover impact in rice? There has not been. And really, first of all, we're a a fairly small player on the global scale, unlike, you know, our our brethren in in soybeans and corn in the U.S., where they're they're pretty big players. Wheat is a big player. Uh, We're relatively small. We're very much influenced by what other rice-producing countries do, and in our case, uh, we have really zeroed in on what India is doing. They're creating a scenario that does not allow our prices to rise. So they admit 
to subsidizing their farmers over their WTO limits by a significant amount. They also recently announced that they would provide $20 billion in fertilizer subsidies to their farmers. So essentially, they've removed the risk for the farmers uh, who can then flood the global market with cheap rice. And so it's really, that had probably more of an impact on the lack of an increase in, in rice prices than anything. And, you know, we've obviously talked to been talking to USTR about this. We've been talking to members of Congress. And this is our number one issue, which is we really believe that we should be bringing a WTO case against India for violating the WTO. Uh, there's not been any significant movement there, but we keep pressing. Um, and it, it's a huge problem. So we'll pick up more on trade in just a moment. I want to come yep. with a couple of other issues. And, and again, sure. concent- concentrating on the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, there's some stories recently that your industry and some of your specific partners have stepped up efforts to feed the hungry. Correct. We uh, we were very fortunate that three of our member companies that are rice mills had some rice in Europe already that was going to go to their customers, but instead they they worked with those customers um, and an importer in Ukraine to donate all that rice to the relief efforts there. Uh, and we realize that that's, you know, a drop in the bucket for what they need. But we have also been, you know, prepping uh, USDA, USAID, the World Food Program. We've been talking with them, offering that, you know, rice has a long history of working with food aid programs and providing uh, much-needed nourishing rice products to the world. So we're, we stand ready uh, to continue to do that through the food aid programs, and we hope that, There'll be a little more flexibility. For example, we know some of the USAID programs are more cash than commodities. We think in this case, given the scale of this crisis, that they need to maybe uh, have a little more flexibility in their programs so that we can provide the commodity that, that would feed a lot of people. I wonder if you'd be willing to comment on this. There have been arguments along the way that it costs more to take a U.S. commodity and ship it to the people in need we'd be better off just to take money and buy product from somebody else that's closer to the area of the hungry. How do, how do you growers feel about that? Well, I know, for example, it makes sense for the World Food Program when there's a, when there's a crisis. They, they try to provide food as soon as they can, and so they're looking uh, wherever the, the crisis may be. They're looking in that region for either cash or product, and we we have encouraged them to preposition rice in in those areas so that they have it in storage. It stores very well, and it's available to use. So we're working with them to try to to try to do that so that they don't have to use cash. It's already it's already over there. It's already on the ground, and it's available when they need it. Betsy, there's another top issue that's affecting growers in the country, and that's water or the lack of it. Um, reports from California suggesting a tremendous increase in the amount of fallowed acres because of drought. The results, especially in Northern California, are just astounding. And I'm, I'm reading from an AgriPulse, uh, Daybreak West story, uh, from early in the week, uh, expecting nearly a billion dollar impact to Sacramento Valley farmers, uh, from fallowing land this year. Uh, the Association of Irrigation Districts predicting farmers would have to fallow 370,000 acres of the state's productive rice-growing region. The industry faces a $251 million hit to mills, dryers, and supplies, and more than $76 million lost in wages for 1,500 jobs. 
to me, this is a story that suggests, again, uh, how important agriculture is to a region and not just its farmers. And this is from a horrible weather situation. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it impacts farmers, but the infrastructure, right? So uh, if you lose the infrastructure, as you know, it, it doesn't easily come back. And so that's very concerning. I think what this drought sort of tells me and tells, I think, the, the rice industry in California is that there needs to be a balance for all water allocation for the environment, for cities, for communities, but also for farms um, so that they can continue to operate and provide those jobs and provide the rural economies uh, the, the dollars that they need. And in California, you know, they're really real, the rice industry is extremely efficient with water. Um, they've reduced their water use significantly over time. And, and, the, and the little water that they do use basically provides habitat for thousands of thousands and thousands of waterfowl and fish and birds. And, you know, the rice fields in California are surrogate wetlands, countering the loss of nearly all of California's historic wetlands. It's not just the impact on jobs and people and farms. It's also the impact on the environment. It's, it's, it's pretty startling. But we don't know yet. They haven't started planting in California. They don't start until May. So we don't know exactly how how much it's going to go down but it's going to go down so let's broaden now to that area of trade how important are global customers to the u.s rice industry well very important we export uh normally about 50 percent of what we produce so trade is really really important uh we're, we were you know we have our major markets mexico is our number one market we sell a significant amount of rice to japan south korea taiwan um, we were actually really happy to see that the rice tariffs, the steel tariffs that were put in place, the 232 tariffs will be lifted on June 1st because the UK is actually a big market for us and it's been impacted by those tariffs. I mean, that, you know, we, we lost market share because of that. So, um, so all of those are key markets. I would say that <laughs> we were actually in Cuba last week down there, the trip with the ag group. You know, we always, we always hope that Cuba will kind of resurface as a market, and they certainly need our food. And I saw the article um, in the AgriPulse today that was great about the trip and how how really desperate the Cubans are. And hopefully we can see some movement there, because I think that'll, that's, a, that's a national market for us. Some other individuals and industry groups have suggested a push for the U.S. to try and rejoin the CPTPP. Would U.S. rice right. agree? Uh, depends. I mean, I think it, you know, obviously the, the key market there for us is Japan, and we were, we never really took a position on the old TPP because we didn't think that we necessarily got enough market access for Japan. So if we could reopen those negotiations, we would certainly, then we would, you know, I think we would support it. And I know it would be it would be very good for the rest of agriculture. So I think we would. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned this earlier, so now let's come to the point. Other industry officials, including dairy, lately have suggested that India should be on our target list. And, of course, they're looking for the opportunity to sell product there. But right. how is how is India's trade practices affecting U.S. rice access to global customers? They are basically subsidizing soup to nuts, their farmers, uh, now with fertilizer, subsidizing fertilizer costs. So, so, you know, their cost of production is basically zero. And so they're cranking out rice and putting it into the world market at very, very low prices that we can't match. And so, you know, they're taking they're taking market share away from us in many markets in Africa, the Middle East, um, 
and we even see some coming in here. And so we really do believe that that and and you know they and I know wheat and corn are a little bit different situation right now, but long term, uh, the wheat industry and the you know has has issues with what India is doing as well. So we really would like to see our our government step up and and bring a case. Now we also know. Uh, that several other countries have, have raised this. Australia, Brazil, Canada, the EU, Japan, Paraguay, even Thailand, you know, for goodness sake. <laughs> uh, they're voicing concerns about India. So, uh, everybody's saying they gotta, they gotta knock it off. What they're doing right now, it's, it's in total violation. It's, it's ridiculous. So, uh, we, and again, we, we, we've, we've talked to Ambassador Thai about this. We've, 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 uh, we're, we had a, we've been talking with USTR, so we're very hopeful that they take some action here. Well, the Biden is a long slog, but it's really the only tool that we have right now. Well, the Biden administration is talking about an Indo-Pacific agreement, but perhaps not in the traditional sense that many other people think about. So what do you understand of what's on the president's agenda? Will it help or how much further does it need to go? Well, um, I would say it's unclear to us. And I would say that, again, we are not alone in this. Um, but we really, really need, uh, we need an, you know, an ag negotiator at USTR and we need a USDA undersecretary for trade. I mean, it, it, we, we don't, we don't have a lot of people to talk to about our ag issues and we feel like we're being a little bit left behind. So I think that's really, really important that they get those people in place. I uh, don't really know what the holdup is, but it's, it's critical for all of ag. And so it, it's unclear to me anyway, what, what that agenda really is. And so we just keep pressing on, you, you know, you can, you can liberalize trade with India, but they've got to be held accountable for what they're doing, which is a clear violation of WTO rules. Well, looking ahead, farm policy will come to center stage. Thinking about the 2018 farm bill, how would rice growers characterize the provisions of the current policy? So, the farm bill has been our safety net. It is, it is really, it has worked well for us. You know, we, we don't really benefit as much as other commodities from crop insurance, but certainly the, the PLC program, uh, has been helpful. But what we've seen is it doesn't really address what's happening right now, right? With these fertilizer increases, et cetera. It doesn't really match up with, because it wasn't designed for that. It was designed, you know, uh, to support farmers, uh, when prices are volatile. So I think, you know, we would want to see changes made, but we, the fundamentals of the program we, we support. So we just need to look at future. And, you know, one of the things is the PLC levels don't increase with inflation. I mean, we've had, you know, especially this year, you know, prices go up. And so there, you know, maybe there needs to be an escalator clause or something that accounts for changes in in the economic situation of farmers, not not just every five or six years. I've talked to a number of analysts who suggest we'll be hard-pressed to see additional dollars come yeah. for a 2023 farm bill. It's also yeah. clear that we're playing uh, the agriculture table stakes are a lot higher here in 2022 than they were four or five yeah. years ago. The question yeah. is, can you provide a safety net, and will it be effective and, pro- right. and protecting producers at this at this particular stakes. Well, I, I, I agree with I agree with you, and I agree that we are at a just an unprecedented time. And I think that if if we want to be able to 
help feed the world, which we do, and we and we we know that you know, and every country is experiencing shortages and problems with getting inputs, and farmers all over the world are having this, these problems. So, you know, we we have the ability to produce a high quality product, all of us in ag here, uh, and but in order to do that, we need you know support from our government, and so. I would think that that would be a priority for them, given what's going on. But so I guess we'll have to see. I know, you know, they're starting to have seed field hearings, and I'm sure they're going to hear from everybody, including Rice, uh, what our issues are. Betsy, climate is drawing a lot of attention on Capitol Hill and in this administration. How would climate smart commodities programs fit with U.S. rice production? We think very well. We think uh, extremely well. We've been. I think we're blessed with uh, farmers that are, have been doing sustainable practices for a very long time. They, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to measure how we can reduce. We know that greenhouse gas is the big, you know, the big ticket item that they want to see reductions there. Uh, we have, you know, we have, we're a little bit unique in that regard because we do use water on our fields and that does, that does generate some CO2 emissions. So uh, we're, we're, Spending lots of time and lots of money in the in the research community and and on farms, uh, trying to develop techniques to reduce that. And so I think, given our track record on sustainability conservation and again providing this critical wildlife habitat, it's not just in California; it's all through the Mid South too. That's another major flyway for waterfowl. So I think we've got a great story to tell, and we have great partners. We're, we have a partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Um, called the Rice Stewardship Partnership, started in 2012. And working with them and their goals and our goals are, are really aligned very well. We've been able to do a lot already on the ground. So we, so we are, I think we're in a good position, and I, I think we're going to take advantage of the, of the focus on climate. Is climate smart one size fits all, per se, that cover crops are the best for all crops in all it, regions? It, well, not for us, it's not. No, that's been one of our... Key points. Uh, we actually testified. Uh, we had a, a, a farmer testify earlier this year about that. But yes, I mean it, it has to be flexible. It has to be uh, able to work with the agricultural systems that are in place. And uh, for us, cover crops really don't work. That you know, there's again been a lot of experimentation with that. Some farmers are having some success, but it's not a widespread practice right now. One of the one of the practices that we are looking at is something called alternate wetting and drying, where you put the water on the rice field and then you take it off and let it dry down and that tends to reduce emissions and so that's that's certainly an area that we're looking at but we're unique in that right so so it does have to be flexible to fit the uh, the commodity are you willing to sacrifice risk management tools for climate opportunities i would say that one of the challenges that we have had and continue to have with climate programs is Farmers don't necessarily see the benefit. The benefit doesn't necessarily accrue to them to change their practices and spend more money doing different things. And it's a question we hear very often from our farmers, where's the premium for all those extra work that I'm doing? So I think we have to find a happy medium there where, uh, whether it's end users or uh, you know down the supply chain, that there's an incentive uh, for them to continue to go down this road because it's, if it's not profitable at the end of the day, they're not going to do it and they're going to go out of business. And so there, there we are. And then I think the climate would suffer even more if we lost all that wildlife habitat and, and the great product that we produce.
After Easter, we may see some additional progress on the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Will that help U.S. Rice? Yes, very much so. Very much so. And we've been, you know, we've been actively pushing that. And again, we're we're not alone in uh, just these logistical challenges that everybody's had. And I'd say the other one that's really kind of come up recently, not recently, but I'm hearing more and more from my members about is the rail the rail problems and and the inability to get rail cars to deliver product domestically. So to deliver to our regular customers, folks are having to turn to trucks and using trucks where it's not as efficient as we've been actually pushing our customers to use more rail because it's more efficient to move ag products across the country. But the shortages are really impacting our our, uh, ability to serve our customers. So for every rail box that doesn't haul a product, four trucks have to be put on the road, right? So that you know, think of the cost of fuel, the driver shortages that we're having, the environmental impact. So we really think that along with shipping, we need to address the rail issue. Betsy, let's talk about the balance of 22. Is there legislation that you would like to see or action you would like to see Washington take before the end of 22? Or are we at a point that everything gets punted to what might be in a 23 farm bill? Yeah, it's a uh, very good question. I mean, we we feel like there should be action before the next farm bill because of the situation that we're in, particularly in terms of these these input costs. Uh, I think it will be a struggle given kind of where we are in the, in the calendar year. And certainly farmers have already made their decisions about what they're going to plant. So that's, you know, that's not going to impact that. But some ability to change this dynamic on these input costs would certainly be helpful in the short term and on the, and the transportation issues. And, and we are, again, happy to see this bill um, making it th- its way through Congress. So, And then finally, I think we still, we don't have a lot of clarity on what the Biden trade agenda is, and it would be super helpful for us if that could be articulated and if we could have some people in place that we could work with to continue to, I mean, because rice is one of the most protected commodities in the world, and we need we need trade trade negotiations and trade agreements to open markets for us. And right now, that we're not really doing much in that regard. So that would be helpful before the next farm bill. Well, Betsy Ward, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us on this edition of Open Mic. Betsy, it is Open Mic. You've been here before, and today you have the last word. Well, thank you very much. No, I just want to say how much we appreciate AgriPulse and all, the, all that you guys do. Um, you're a great resource for everybody. And, um, look, we're trying, to, we're trying to keep our farmers in business. It's, a, it's a, going to be a tough year for everybody. I know that. Uh, so we're the Trade Association for Rights. That's what we do every day is, is think about how we can help our, our industry. And this year will be... Um, challenging as any I've, I've been involved in, that's for sure. Our thanks to Betsy Ward, President and CEO of the USA Rice Federation, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest and most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.